Hey everybody, welcome back to the Satsung Podcast. Today is a special podcast. Uh, we have Hillary Gleason, uh, one of the co-founders of Backline. Backline is a nonprofit that provides mental health services for um, anyone in the music industry. Um, I guess before this, I just assumed that they help connect artists with therapists. Um, so for that reason, I wanted to have my wife, who's a psychotherapist, um, on with us um, to just kind of diversify the conversation. And me and my wife were both pretty blown away at um, how thoughtful and deep and full service backline is. Um, everything from breath work to help with addiction to, um, well, you'll hear, but they've literally thought of everything. It was super, super inspiring conversation. And... Um, yeah, they are also uh, releasing our next single, All On Me, with us. So, so honored to have Hillary on the podcast. It was so great to have my wife sit in with us. Um, yeah, we're just going to get into it so you can hear what an amazing, amazing nonprofit these guys are. So, without further ado, here is my wife, Summer, and Hillary Gleason. Hello. Today on the Satsung Podcast, we have two guests, um, Hillary, who is the founder of Backline, um, and she will tell you all about that, and then my wife, um, who's been on before and is a clinical therapist, and I think it will become clear why I wanted her to be um, a part of the podcast. The idea is that Backline is a mental service, or a mental health service for touring musicians. Um, I am a touring musician uh, who has struggled with with mental health and my wife is a mental health professional so um yeah why don't we start by Hillary why don't you just tell us a bit about Backline and how you started it and why you started it sure um so Backline we founded in 2019 in the fall um so we're coming up on three years of it um I have a background in global health nonprofits um and lifelong music fan um and prior to Backline, I had started a consulting firm that connects businesses and bands with nonprofits, um, helping to sort of streamline communication there and help businesses build, you know, really strong fundraising mechanisms for the issues that they care about, um, which is, I think, why I was on the receiving end of a lot of phone calls from within the music industry in the summer of 2019. Um, when we were losing musicians and crew people to suicide, substance abuse, um, and, and other related things. Um, we lost two musicians in my music community that summer, um, and many people were in the same boat as me where we, you know, were grieving the losses of two people very near and dear to us um, within a matter of months. And so those phone calls started to roll in right after we lost the second one. Um, and the questions were really around, you know, what's happening? Why are people slipping through the cracks? Um, and the music industry has um, had a mental health issue for much longer than 2019, of course. Um, but, you know, in watching people that we knew and appreciated and connected with um, being lost to these things, we really were, motivated to have a larger conversation across the music industry, you know, bringing those moments out of their silos and into a collective space where we could say, 
when somebody in your band is struggling, where do you go? Um, what are the resources that you've used? You know, what nonprofits exist out there that we can lend our support to? So we had different organizations join those original conference calls and in hearing about the work that they were doing, but then also hearing from people in the music industry, tour managers, artists, agents, um, you know, where they were going and finding resources, we realized that that's really where the gap was, was that people were running a Google search to figure out what, what was out there to help them. Um, people were picking up the phone and calling someone and saying, hey, I know you've been in therapy before. Can you connect me with that person? Um, and that might not be the right person for your individual journey and needs, um, not to mention all of the sort of hoops that exist around who can provide care based on where you live um, or don't live in the, in the case of a touring professional. Um, and so we built Backline to be the first stop that people can come to in the music industry to understand what resources are meant for them specifically, whether that's a therapy referral, um, help getting into treatment, needing money to pay for therapy um, or local organizations. So people can come to us and we're able to refer out to some of these great organizations that exist like Music Cares and Sweet Relief Musicians Fund. We also have now a clinical network with over 300 providers around the country, all of whom understand how the music industry works and therefore can provide better care to folks that are in this unique spot. Um, so we launched in October of 2019 with our case management program. And since then, we've built additional programming to really meet people where they are, whether that is joining a virtual support group, um, finding a wellness modality that works for them, you know, really recognizing that mental health is not one size fits all, nor is the music industry in terms of roles and capacity to, you know, use some of these services. So we actually serve the music industry in its entirety. So um, anyone from a tour bus driver to the artists themselves, managers, agents, you know, taking the largest swath of eligibility that we could so that anybody in the industry that needs our support can find it. Um, and we extended that to also include family members of folks in the music industry, recognizing that if your partner or your child is struggling, it's going to impact the way that you are showing up to work, it's gonna impact the way the music is being made. And we really don't want anyone to be left out um, because if one person is, is you know, on a health journey and, and improving, then you're gonna see that ripple out through the rest of the community. Um, so that is the spiel on Backline. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, I, there was so much in there that I can relate to. I know I had, um, I had a therapist for about 18 months and was on tour and was starting to struggle. And then when I hit her up to schedule, I hit that wall where she was like, yeah, well, you're in Utah and then tomorrow you're here and then you're in California and I actually can't treat you in any of those states. And I didn't know that that was a thing. Like I knew that there was um, obviously states you could practice in, but I didn't realize that if I was physically in another state that we couldn't have a Zoom call, she couldn't treat, even though I had been in therapy with her for 18 months. Um, 
Wow, what a cool service! I didn't, I, I didn't realize that it wasn't just for musicians. Because I, I always say all of the time, like uh, with a tour manager, I'm like, man, if this is hard for me, this has got to be hell for you. You don't even get to do the fun thing at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it can become even more complex with crew members, um, you know, assistants at management companies that you know really don't have the financial ability to pay for therapy, right? You're kind of scraping by as it is. So we want mental health resources to feel attainable, right? And so when people come to us and we run that case management program, we're really doing a full intake. Where do you live? Do you tour? How much can you afford to spend? Do you have insurance that you'd like to use? Do you understand if your insurance has mental health benefits? I mean, I kind of view it as our case managers, you know, all of whom are licensed mental health providers themselves, they're able to be that friend who both understands the music industry and the mental health care space and can be, you know, a holding, holding their hand through the process and helping to find referrals that are actually really going to work for you um, so that you're not continually hitting those roadblocks. I love that. Well, um, Summer, why don't you tell us um, a bit about you for uh, anyone listening that might not have heard when I had you on the podcast? Uh, yeah, I, I specialize in trauma. I work with all ages, kids through elderly um, you know, we live in a small town. I have a private practice that, you know, is, is thriving. And it's really, really amazing to hear on a bigger scale, Hillary. Uh, it sounds like you guys have thought of everything, which is, I mean, I'm really, really excited about your program listening to it because all the little things are what is get what does get in the way, you know, of people receiving mental health. Yeah, I, the I smallest think, levels to the biggest levels of suicidal ideation and addiction. Yeah, I think a huge thing too. Um, I know that after I started seeing backline um, stuff everywhere, it just kind of started. Um, there's like an openness in the industry now where no one used to talk about therapy. And like, even in my own band, we had a pretty funny like revelation in the van one day where I was talking about therapy and we realized that everyone in our band was in therapy. And like, we had never talked about it. No one had ever said like, you know, that they were going to therapy and we found out everyone in my band was in therapy. And I, the, the timing for you guys, especially starting in 2019, going into COVID, oh my goodness, you know, like for me, I kind of use that break as a time to to dive into mental health. That was when I started going to therapy. Cause I think the hardest thing about being an artist is I think you're super sensitive by nature. And, and, you know, my story, a lot of the art is derived from, you know, I just, I grew up with a lot of, with a lot of trauma and addiction and things like that. So the art has always been kind of the constant. And I feel like in one way or another, I'm always kind of pulling from that stuff. And you know, when COVID hit, like the, the stage is always the thing where it kind of makes sense. Like the show is what kind of makes it all come together and it's all beautiful and perfect. And you're like, oh yeah, this is why we suffer, you know, 22 and a half hours a day is for this thing. And, you know, I, I needed the break. Um, and I'm lucky enough that with streaming income and, and things like that, that it, financially I wasn't, 
I wasn't in dire straits when 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 the pandemic hit, but I but I, most of the musicians I know, including the guys in my band, it very much was like if they weren't touring with me, they were at home playing gigs and they couldn't do that. And I think all of us also kind of realized that we don't um, that we don't really know what to do with ourselves if we're not playing shows, you know. And yeah, I'm curious about what the the, the I guess the volume or like what was some of the stuff that you saw during COVID um through backline and, and artists reaching out and yeah um we like to joke you know with my co-founders that our crystal ball was really working you know in the fall of 2019 when we launched this program because all of a sudden it became so important um so in march of 2020 we saw the numbers of submissions to our case management program quadruple um, and they have stayed there since then or grown even more since then. Um, part of that was brand awareness. Um, you know, folks didn't know who we were when we were first getting started, but part of that was also a lot of folks, you know, realizing this sort of desperation was going to either lead to a mental health crisis or, um, sort of grow one that had been simmering, um, so we were there to meet that need, which was amazing, um, and had to really become scrappy with how we were referring people to therapists. Because um, Summer, I'm sure you know, as a mental health provider, all of a sudden everyone's books were slammed. Um, and so there was a real lack of, of capacity to meet this need. Um, so our clinical network grew really quickly in that moment. Luckily, many of our providers or probably all of them are music fans. And so they were coming to us and saying, I'm going to save two spots in my, you know, clinical schedule for backline clients. I'm going to volunteer those spots, pro bono, sliding scale, whatever needs to happen to make sure that bands are able to come back after the pandemic. And I think there was a real shared fear that we were going to lose people in that moment, either you know, off this earthly plane or just leaving music um, and, and trying to find something that was a little bit more stable through whatever global challenges we're up against. Um, that first week of lockdown, you know, I refer to March 11th, 2020 as the day the music died because you watched, you know, these large scale cancellations of tours and festivals. On that day, um, our clinical team at Backline realized that there was gonna be a huge increase in need for us. Um, and in a matter of days, put together our support group programs, um, which meet on Zoom. They're free to attend for folks in the music industry. And that first week of the lockdown, we were hosting them. And it was just this open space to you know, talk about what was going on in the industry, our fears, our challenges, um, and they now have become one of our main programs that we run because people really appreciate the opportunity to connect with other people in the same boat. Um, even for me being sort of music industry adjacent, it's really hard for some of my friends and family outside of the music industry to understand what it is that we're going through. Um, and even now that we're somewhat back to live music, um, there are things that are being discussed in those support groups like boundaries um, around friends asking for tickets or wanting this or wanting that, that you can't really talk about with the general public, but we've built this sort of insulated space where you can 
you know, run through those things. And it was such an interesting social experiment for us because all of a sudden we had people coming into those groups in April or May of 2020 saying, I haven't told anyone, but I'm hoping that I can use this as a practice round to, you know, I'm going through a divorce and I have to tell my friends and family, but I'm going to tell y'all first. And it was like, okay, this is actually a space that people are utilizing in these really unique ways. Um, we just recently have expanded upon our support group programming and we launched a group for partners of people on the road um, or in the music industry. And I'm pretty sure it's the first space of its kind where you know, mm. the support systems at home are able to talk about some of the difficulties. Do you leave your phone on all night while they're on tour, right? Are you getting any sleep? Like those kinds of things that I think are really unique to the support systems of all of the people um, who are out there. And, you know, we, we say we serve everyone who has a hand in making the music happen. And that certainly includes the partners of folks that are out there making it happen. And so it's been really cool to recognize that Zoom, you know, for all of its downfalls and the fatigue that we feel living on it, um, can be a really unique space to connect people around the country that are in similar situations. Yeah, I de Summer, I definitely want to hear you speak to to being my partner and, and how weird that is because I'm I'm sure it's it's weird but like as an artist I think I think it's more isolating than people can even imagine because there's this like I think the thing I struggle with the most on the road and just kind of the phase that the band is in is is when you're in these like growth periods um you know I'm kind of the the head of the well not kind of I am the head of the ship I own this entire business and um, there's this feeling of like, everyone gets paid regard, everyone else gets paid first, you know? So like we played a show in Boston <clears throat> where it was a large venue. I think it was a uh, five, 700 cap room and we were just shy of selling out. And I go to get paid and I'm, was paid $1,500. And I'm looking at this deal like, well, how does this make sense? And then I realized the deal was written in such a way that even had we sold out, we wouldn't have hit back end. And so there's this thing of like, um, you just kind of, no one takes that on the chin but me. Everyone else is getting paid regardless. Everyone is getting paid their day rate. And um, I think Instagram and social media and the you know, the way that you kind of keep the ball rolling and keep interest going is, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do Instagram lives and tell people that I'm depressed and that I'm like, want to go home and, and all of that. So <clears throat> from the outside looking in, you know, I'm an artist is like living their dream and they're crushing shows. And there's, you know, from the, from the outsider's perspective, it's just like, oh my God, dude, they, your life couldn't be any cooler. And while I agree, that is true. My life is pretty damn cool it's it's there's all these stuffs and the struggle on the road of these highs and lows you know the things people don't see is the like severe lack of sleep um this constant running and um the thing i've been struggling with a lot recently is just being paid attention to like i um there's not really a break from that you know um and it's kind of hard when you're going through shit to have everyone pay attention to you because I think when most people are going through shit, they like to not be paid attention to so they can kind of work through their shit. So that <clears throat> there's just so many facets, um, which is why I think what you're doing is important because to even just have a space of like, that's one of my favorite things of festival season is 
is being backstage with all these other artists and and getting to have those conversations of like, oh my God, we speak the same language. You know, it's like two ex-Marines or two Marines bumping into each other and being like, oh yeah, no, I know all the shit, dude, you know? Um, but Summer, yeah, why don't you um, talk a bit about the struggles of, because Summer is who I call, you know, that's, I don't, um, I don't like to talk to my guys and, uh, you know, I kind of like to wear the fearless leader hat. So I don't, I don't ever want to tell my guys that I'm, struggling or stressed or depressed or any of that I try to keep it you know I'm the captain everything's fine the show goes on um so summer is usually the one that gets the call <laughs> that are probably 90 percent negative when we first started touring how long ago was that Drew eight years yeah so it took I mean a good two or three years for me to figure out what my role is in that and I used to seek out Michael Franti was the first person to say, hey, call my wife, call Sarah. She would love to just hold that space and just, you know, be a support for you. Because, yeah, it is really hard. He was the first one to really acknowledge that. And that was maybe, maybe even four years into it, you know. So really figuring out my role as a partner, but through that process I have all my shit too of Drew taking pictures with beautiful people me being home feeling like tired and worn down with the family and then him being at this amazing festival and on his high and so yeah as a partner it's really figuring out your place not only in the industry but how the industry fits in with your life at home <laughs> You know, it's just so multifaceted in all the different levels and it can get really compartmentalized. And so I, I could see why your support groups would be so big right now because you're just breaking down the walls of compartmentalizing and just going, hey, oh man, you have jealousy too? Like, what? Yeah. Okay. And I'm doing and okay then. It's normally. Totally. Yeah. And part of the reason, you know, I think I'm uniquely suited to have started Backline is I dated a touring musician for five years and really struggled in, you know, there's no guidebook for it. Nobody's going to tell, it's like what wor works for one person might not work for you, but there's the same thing I think about being the partner of an artist that the artist feels of like, oh, that's so glamorous. Oh, you're you know, backstage at Red Rocks. That's amazing. But yeah, you're at home. Um, and it looks like your partner is having the time of their life. Now, when you can kind of roll that back, it's like, okay, touring isn't that glamorous. They're probably not having the best time of their life. But also, you know, if I'm going to travel out for a show, what is my role, you know, day of show? Am I catching an attitude from the person that I just flew across the country to spend time with just because they're stressed before the show? You know, all of these things that, yeah, you really did have to reach out to one person to say like, this is what I'm going through. And there's a lot of um, people that are newer to it that don't have a community, you know, of people that are in that same role. And as you're building relationships with the other partners of folks in that band, you might not be comfortable enough to sort of bear your soul or show what can sometimes come across as like, 
a level of ungrateful, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm really struggling with this. It's like, well, look how awesome our lives are, right? Or look at all of the things that's provided to you. So that's a big part of, you know, why I want to serve family members too, is because I really think that they're just as affected by this industry as people that are in it and there should be a place to go and and we should normalize yeah taking away these compartmental like the compartmentalization of it and starting to say yeah that's normal this is normal whatever you're going through or experiencing is normal here are some ways that you know i've worked through that or someone else has worked through that try this try that and that could be around anxiety or communication or jealousy you know, these things that we all share at some point in time, but it can be really hard and, and isolating when you think you're in it alone. One of the, the things with Drew that, one, I'm really blessed to have the skills that I do have, you know, and so I get to have a broader perspective within the industry, within, you know, the music role that plays in our life, but understanding that is drew there's drew there's me and then we have a third partner and that is music the relationship the work the the love the hates the stress you know and realizing that when drew is in relationship that i have so much trust for that i can now just let him go and then the stuff at home if there's stress there I, I know that I don't have to get in the way of the relationship. And so I really pick and choose what's going to take him out of that, you know? And so one really developing a sense of trust and going through my own validation process, but also just learning that within the family dynamics, I don't want to pull him out of that relationship too, because it's really important, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So, and I think a lot of what we, you know, are trying to, support is is based on this sort of person versus persona that many artists and industry folks carry um and so the persona that you are on social media and on stage is often like you said struggling behind the scenes um and so being the partner you see both right you see the persona that's often um part of the draw, you know, in the initial dating stage is, oh, I'm, you know, dating this musician. If I would have known he was a musician, <laughs> it wouldn't have gone as far. Actually. Good thing you didn't though, because yeah. here you are. <laughs> but I think for some people, they're like so dynamic, you know, day of show, night of show, and that's sort of the draw. There's this magnetism to it. And then you start to sort of see behind that. And it can be challenging, I think, to support, you know, their journey there and it can be challenging to live in that space of like you fly home from tour and all of a sudden you're off and you're the person that you are at home um and so really trying to recognize that and then say how can you either integrate the two or build space for the two um what does tour departure and re-entry look like in your home you know how can you really understand those things and then support my goodness, dude, that is that is like absolutely the hardest part because there's this like, I don't want to leave. I don't want to go on tour. I don't want to go on tour. And then the first 
three to five days is this like, oh yeah, fuck, this is a thing. Everyone wants my attention, everything, you know, everyone's paying attention to me. And then there's this like week two, you just surrender and you're like, okay, I live in this van or I live on this bus and this is what we're doing. And this is the flow. And I remember this, my body remembers, like, this is what we do now. And um, I think you're left with, you know, we're getting a bus this fall. And, you know, the one thing that, that my friends that tour and buses um, really spoke to was like, be careful with that time. You know, you'll have way more time than you've ever had. And I know for me, even, even on days in the van where it's a short drive, you have all of this time. So you're homesick, um, you know, there's, and there's all of these distractions, you know, as someone in recovery, there's these like, there's this constant urge because alcohol and drugs are like the peace offering of the music industry. So you arrive somewhere and they're like, Hey, here's free alcohol to kill some time. And um, then you know, no matter how sad, how depressed, how whatever, I, I kind of have this mantra that I say before going on stage, which is like 99% of people absolutely hate their jobs. And they spent some of their money that they earned doing something they didn't necessarily want to do to spend 90 to 120 minutes with me tonight. So they're getting all of me. My shit doesn't matter. This is for them. They, they worked, you know, essentially... <laughs> two hours this week just to come hang out with me. So you flip the switch, you go do the thing and then you get off. And when you flip that switch off, it's even more like, oh, heavy. Cause you just had this big high and then you crash. And um, then what I always feel like is halfway through a tour, I start really idealizing home of what it's gonna be like. And I'm gonna get home and everyone's just gonna drop everything and run to me at the door. They're so happy that I'm home. And then you get home and realize that, no, my wife has been working, you know, seeing seven clients every day during the week. My kids are in school. You know, my four-year-old has an, a routine that he has been in and I haven't been a part of that. So I have to reintegrate into that. So the, yeah, the, I think you just hit the nail on the head. I think that is absolutely the hardest part of this job is the preparing for departure. Um, tour you eventually hit autopilot it has its thing but I think we all kind of have our systems of getting into that flow but the coming home is always so hard and you also go from everybody giving you so much attention so much praise so much love so much gratitude and then you get home and it's like well yeah dude you're not sat sung here you're just drew <laughs> you know like we know you're none of that here and it's such a like an e-break and, and that integration is really hard. Yeah, I like to think of that sort of either side of tour as what I call the laundry room, which is like you're either, you know, getting your clean laundry ready to go to tour. And that can be like some pre-tour communication or sort of routine. And then the other side, which is, of course, please do your own laundry. I've been working by myself here for however long you've been gone. You know, don't come into this clean space and throw everything everywhere. But it's also the opportunity to kind of unpack some of these things. Um, and really normalizing that. Um, you know, I think oftentimes I was so excited for my partner to get home from tour. I can't wait, we're gonna go on dates, we're gonna do all this awesome stuff. And he would get home, no energy, like couldn't move, you know, for two or three days. And it was like, well, I've been waiting, right? So like there were expectations on either side. And I think, 
you know, greater self-awareness and sort of care of self and partner is required in these, these relationships where you don't have these daily touch points, but you are struggling with X, Y, and Z. It's like, let me really try and dig deeper into how I can come in home from tour or what you would like when you get home from tour, whether it's like a stocked fridge or whatever. It's like, there are concessions that can be made on either side to kind of ease this thing. But the reality is it's hard. And that's why I call it laundry because that's my least favorite chore. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. I think that's a really good analogy. And I think so much too, when you get home from tour, you know, the last thing I want to do for like a week after I get home is be around people. Like, Mm unless I'm going to the gym, I don't want to leave the house. You know, I I have no desire to go see everyone immediately or like a family gathering would be an absolute nightmare right after a tour. Um, Family doesn't go well. Yeah. (laughs) So it's just this, like, you know, I finally, I spend so much time, you know, I really take pride in um, how much attention I give our fans, you know, like after every show, I'll, I, I will go stand at the merch booth and meet every single person until they leave, until there's no one left in the venue. And because I, you know, I just kind of have this theory of like, well, if I'm out here, I should be out here. You know, like if I'm out here, I should be making it a point to connect as hard and frequently and genuinely as possible with every person I encounter. So when I get home, I'm like, nah, I don't want to see anybody but Summer and my kids. I just don't, you know, and yeah, it's such a, it's such a wild thing, you know, it's such a wild thing. And I think the, you know, the addiction thing is that it's, it's such an easy, it's an, there's no ROI on it, but it's such an easy thing to like invest in while you're, while you're out is this like, okay, well, I don't want to feel any of these things. I actually don't want to process any of these things. So I'm just going to shut it off. And I think anyone that's been touring for eight plus years, you know, you get to a place where you could pretty much play a show under any altered circumstance, you know, like it, it, it's such an autopilot thing. Um, and I think we, we're starting to see the um, kind of the death rattle of the old rock and roll model, which was like, when you're on the road, you just stay fucked up and you play your shows and then you come home and pretend to be a normal person. I think we're kind of seeing with whether it's suicide or people dying from addiction, or I think we've just seen the story played out so many times that on this end of the industry as an artist, I think we're all like, nah, that ain't, that ain't it, (laughs) you know? And like, I'm really blessed to have a crew where, you know, I, I can count on one hand the amount of times I've seen my band members drunk, you know, it's gotta be a super, you know, like we have a day off in Nashville, you know, that's like the, you know, it's gotta be a super, it's a super rare occasion. So um, you know, have you seen uh, on your end, have you seen a, a shift in that, um, with more and more musicians getting sober and. Yeah, I think for a long time, there was a fear that it would impact the art that you're making. You know, I need to be struggling in order to write these kinds of songs. Um, and I think, you know, the sort of anxiety or excitement or whatever that you feel putting on shows or writing music is is dulled by alcohol or substances and that can be a, a, an attractive thing sometimes right it lowers your frequency which when you're in these high stress sort of tumultuous jobs can be like oh that would be nice um but i think 
you know, it's also so rigorous. You're in a different city every day. You're in cramped spaces, you know, you don't have the space to have a hangover, like of the proportions that you, you know. Um, so I think people are starting to shift that narrative. Some of it is based on there being now good role models in that space, right? Okay, if um, Trey Anastasio and Jason Isbell and, you know, whoever else are sober and, and at the top of their game, maybe I can do that too. We also saw a lot of people really examining their relationship with substances during the pandemic. Okay, now I'm not in a green room every single day with free alcohol. Um, and it doesn't make sense to drink a bottle of whiskey at home. Um, so let me start to look at that. And then, you know, you start to see uh, the sunshine on a walk or whatever. And you're like, oh, I, li I do like the daytime. This is cool. And so people starting to kind of like recognize the need for a shift there. But we're now seeing that pendulum swing back the other way on it was maybe easy for some people to do less when they were at home and now they're back in those familiar spaces or have anxiety about performing again and trying to lean on, you know, something that they used to do in those spaces. And so I think it, you know, of course, it's such an individual journey, but I think the more people in the industry that are out there talking about it, hey, I was scared too about my creativity or about the way that I write songs, but it's changed in this way. Um, and I think there's also now a greater appreciation in the industry for personhood. You know, you are a whole person. Um, and that means that being a good partner or parent or being nicer to your band, like those are now valued more highly than being the life of the party. And so I think we really are starting to see that shift. Um, and it's, it's a welcome change, I think, um, and one that makes space for, for more people, right? So if you were health conscious or in recovery as a crew person, your jobs that you were taking on were more limited um, because it was harder to sort of say that. I'm in recovery and I you know, need to be in a space that recognizes that. Um, now I think it's easier, even if it's just by a hair, to, to do that and to hold that and to, you know, let other people in on that so that you're creating spaces that everybody can thrive in and not just the party people. Yeah, I think it's all super culture dependent of a band, you know, because I'm sober, I think anyone that's joined the ship has kind of known like, okay, I'm sure there, I'm sure there is a, a low tolerance, you know, for complete and utter inebriation. We're like, I've seen other bands absolutely mind-blowing you know where I'm like how do you guys even finish tour you know but I think that you know the only thing one thing you said there that really resonated with me you know the only time I really struggle with any sort of temptation is it's not before the show that's like the light at the end of the tunnel you know and huge shout out to um our front of house and stage manager Jono he made he has made my life so easy on tour that I'm pretty much once we land I'm chilling until I get the text it's like hey bud we're ready for sound check and then hey man 10 minutes to walk out um for so for me the show is the light at the end of the tunnel um and but it's that after the show 
where it's like when I see everyone else having a drink after the show, that's when I'm like, oh man, that would be so nice to have something to like, you know, shit, man, it's 1130. I, you know, now I'm up here and I'm, you know, to function relatively normal tomorrow, it'd be cool to sleep in the next two hours and to have nothing to kind of like ease you off of that, that 10, um, you know, is, is something I struggle with. Cause you know, if a show is a really, really good show, it doesn't matter if we make it to the hotel by midnight, I'm up until two 30. Yeah. Know. Do you have anything that you have found helps with that? Um, my friend Aubrey, um, last time I was in Austin, had given me two bottles of this kava extract that he's like, you know, when I find myself in situations where everyone's drinking and I don't want to drink, I'll order like a cranberry and tonic. And then I squirt this kava extract in there. Um, and I've done that a couple of times. And when I was just in Florida, I had kava after the show and it was the same thing. I was like, oh yeah, this is exactly it. This is exactly what I want, you know? Um, so I think it's, um, now that I know that that, that that works. Yeah. I'm, I'm very excited to stock up on that before fall and have that kind of be the post-show ritual. But um, yeah, you know, I, I use cannabis intermittently, but it doesn't do what it does for me. Like if I smoke after a show, then I'm up until four in the morning. Cause I'm like, man, you know, should we change the set? Should we put this here? Maybe we could go into this, you know, and I get just super heady where, you know, not my guys, they're all pretty heavy smokers and they're out on the way to the hotel. Um, right. <laughs> I found that breath work has been really helpful for me to kind of like dispel that high energy after a show. Um, and we, we have like a whole suite of wellness apps that we've made free for backline folks. Um, and breath work is one of them. And so like, you can actually have it on your phone and choose whether you want to do one for calm, um, awake, focus, sleep. Um, and so like being able to really dive into that catalog, I like, am experiencing social anxiety now when I go to shows, which I didn't ever have before the pandemic. And I can like grab a quick 90 second breath work and then go and, and feel like a little bit more grounded. Um, same thing with sleep. It's like, okay, this is, you know, I think part of it could be placebo, right? Like I'm setting the intention that I'm gonna do this thing for sleep. Um, but I think there's also physiological benefits to, you know, timing your breathing in such a way that you're really trying to focus on a specific outcome. Yeah. Summer, why don't you speak to that? That's definitely, that's your, <laughs> that's your arena for sure. I'm just so impressed that, I mean, I had no idea how, well, both inclusive and exclusive your program is that you guys have an app that you're doing, you're working with the nervous system. You're like working on all the parts of not just mental health, but just mind and body health, you know, and yeah, the breath, it comes back to the breath of everything. But um, yeah. one thing you said uh, that I have found in my own work, I work with a lot of artists in different forms. Um, so um, a few writers and that that thing that you said of people have a belief that they need to be in suffering or that their art comes from this depressed place that that's when they have their aha moments or their drunk moments or their high moments or and working with that man i just 
I really am impressed that you just are hitting so many of the levels and all of the facets that like, man, good job to, to you and your organization, you know? Thank you. It's part of the benefit of having like seven people co-found the org. Um, and we continue to go back to folks in the music industry. Hey, yeah. we're thinking about launching some programming, you know, in this space. Does this resonate with you? Would you use it? Um, or vice versa, even over the past four months, we've had like a huge influx of people coming to us. What are you, what are you doing about uh, substance abuse and sobriety? I could use support. Um, and so now we're like, okay, we're hearing this from real people who need support. We need to build out some specific programming around this. But it, you know, I view it as this real collective, like cohesive unit where it's like, we're serving people with resources, but they're also serving us with ideas, passion, right. time, um, and sort of same thing on the fundraising side of things, which is like one of my main priorities as the executive director um, is like, we have bands that are doing a dollar per ticket on a show or a tour. We have like unique merch items that folks are doing and, and different ways that they're raising money for us, but it also is this, you know, collective mutual aid platform where it could be your band or crew that's using the services, right? So kind of seeing it as this real ecosystem of like, you support us, we support you and yada, yada. And if you ever need something, you know, come to us and let us know. One of the benefits of being such a young organization is we get to be really scrappy around what we're doing. So there's nobody above me telling me that we can't, right? Um, and so that's been really fun too, because when folks need something, we're like, we'll figure it out. Right. Um, and there's this, this base level desire to do whatever it takes to support the music industry, because what do any of us do when we're having a hard day? Mm -hmm. People put on an album, you go to a show, you know? And so it's, it's this like sort of payback program where it's like, well, who's taking care of the people that are taking care of us? Um, and so I think it, it feels like a, a perfect circle in so many ways. Yeah, I really, I like the way that you just said that. Cause I think the thing, uh, you know, something that I struggle with a lot is so much of our music, particularly the early stuff was written from a place of me coming out of this dark thing and trying to put it all together. And, and it's served as a soundtrack for people doing that same work. That's like, you know, the messages and, um, and stories that I've heard from people just blow me away that, that something that I wrote in a notebook prevented a suicide. And, and, you know, so, and I, I felt that I have so much music that has done that for me. So I know that, I know that relationship to music. That's why I started making music because I'd never felt anything more pure and perfect, you know, and, um, my tour manager said something to me one time, something that we keep touching on is that like, as an artist, we kind of tend to pull from this dark thing. You know, my, my tour manager said to me, you know, the hardest thing about being your friend is that I feel like I always have to watch you to make sure that you're not setting fires. Cause I think you've pulled so much good art out of the fire that if you live in a, in a world that's fire free, you'll start starting your own. And, um, I'm blessed to be seen and known so well by the, by the man that's in charge of running our touring, you know, our touring family. But it's also, you know, it kind of just 
took me back of like, wow, shit. Yeah. I got to watch that because, um, that kind of full circle, I had a really, really hard winter. We just kind of kept getting bad news. I was literally driving home from fall tour to find out that we were being kicked out of our house, um, because the owners were selling and it was just kind of thing after thing this winter. And, um, Summer was at work and Malachi was down for a nap. And I started playing this chord progression that felt very happy and upbeat. And I was like, well, that's not how I feel at all. And I wrote this song all on me, which was like me kind of like splaying myself out to the universe of, of this realization that bad things happen, but good things happen too. And, and usually what happens when we're going through these dark phases is months later, we look back on that dark phase and we go, oh, I got this, I got this, I learned how to do this. And I pulled so much from that, but it's usually after the fact. So I wrote this song all on me, of me kind of just saying like, okay, well, fuck it then. Like, take me, like, teach me whatever you gotta teach me. My eyes are open, I'm here for it. And I remember the first time I played it for Summer, she was like, did you write that? I was like, yeah. She's like, man, that is like the perfect song for you right now. And I was like, yeah, right. Um, so when my manager, Matt, came up with this idea of, you know, Matt, Matt's a genius in many rights, but this is his greatest idea to date was, you know, I made this album. I couldn't come to terms. Uh, I couldn't agree on terms with my label. So we decided to leave the label and, and me and my dear friend and bandmate went into this cabin in the middle of the woods this winter up in the mountains and just made this new record. And it kind of felt like, yeah, fucking, of course the label deal would fall, about, fall apart that I'd been working on for six months. Like, of course we couldn't come to terms. And um, so when Matt came up with this idea of like, hey man, instead of me and, my, and, and our publicist hounding, you know, all of these music publications for a two paragraph write-up on page 78, like, who are some nonprofits that you're really impressed with that you, that you love and want to work with. And um, how I heard about backline was just being on tour and seeing the damn thing in the green room all the time. I was like, okay, what is this? And we were in Washington, DC and I was fucking going through it. Cause it was just like first tour in a while where I hadn't made any money and we were selling tickets. You know, it was just very shitty deals with these big conglomerates. So I'm like, we're putting on kick-ass shows every night. People are buying tickets and I'm making no money. I'm in the middle of this like house flux of like, where the fuck are we going to live? Like so much is going on. And um, I just kept seeing those stickers in the green room. And in DC, I, I just finally looked it up and saw everything that you guys were doing. And um, so when Matt came to me with that idea, he's like, okay, well, you've picked your three. And I knew right away that I wanted Backline to be the person we partnered with, with all on me. Cause the song was just like, yeah, so perfect. It's, it's essentially an anthem about a musician going through a bunch of hard shit and being like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> cool. I, I love that. That's how you heard about us. Our like venue program is so important to me. It's like, you know, getting into spaces where people actually are. Um, but also it, I think we touched on this earlier, like tour managers carry such a weight. Um, as do the leaders of the band, as do managers. Yet, for the most part, no one is trained on how to support mm -hmm. someone else through a mental health crisis, right? And so, like, just having an, an escalation point, just having, like, brand recognition for a tour manager to say, hey, have you thought about getting in touch with Backline? 
or here's the sign, you know, it allows them to escalate that conversation without necessarily knowing how to go about it. Um, prior to backline, we were like, all right, how do we do an intervention? Right? Like I remember being in that position for some of my friends and like, that's not a good place to be in. So like take it to the professionals and just have the name there so that people know, you know, and it makes the conversation, I think a lot easier. One of the things that I keep thinking while we're talking is, so Drew asked a little bit about what I do, which I didn't really go into. I'm a clinical license counselor, and I'm also a marriage and family therapist. I'm also a yoga therapist, and I specialize in I rest yoga nidra meditation, and I get to integrate all of the Eastern and the Western together, and it's taken me years to become an overall integrative psychotherapist, right? And what I'm so impressed in is that you guys have gotten to integrate all of what Eastern and Western is. You're pulling in the meditation. You're pulling in, you know, so much of Western psychology is the education too. And so what I hear is that you guys are very, you're teaching the people that you're working with, you know, whether it's the family or so, yeah, just, just the integrative services that you offer. It's just really neat. You know, when I get to work with PTSD, anxiety, panic, one of the first things that we learn about is I literally write breath prescriptions, you know, do this three to time, three to four times a day, the more you do it and you know, and then we learn another prescription. And so we get to alternate and it's I'm just really, really impressed with everything that you guys are teaching and that it's so right on point with this wave of new age medicine and natural healing that the power is within us. And it doesn't have to be shame-based and lonely and you're not alone. In fact, we have this whole community and it's very, you know, open. Thank you for saying that um, and for seeing us because I think for some people, you know, therapy is hard to wrap their head around. Maybe breath work is easier. It's, for some people, it's the other way around. Like I've been in therapy for forever, but once we started Backline and one of my co-founders is sort of our wellness torchbearer. Um, and she's like, if we're going to be offering, you know, meditation and breath work and all this, like you need to sit down and do that work. You need to understand what it is. And I've made, you know, so, so many strides in the past few years from integrating that work, you know, from blocking time after I get out of therapy to integrate that, you know, by sitting in reflection with it or mm -hmm. by doing breath work or, or a meditation. And, you know, some of my friends who know me outside of this work are like, I never thought you'd be the meditator because I'm not right. Like I lived in New York city for seven years. Like I'm best on the go. I don't like to sit down. I have to like see myself, like I'm good, you know, but now I'm really able to see all of these different sides of things. And the reality is that they work in perfect harmony. Um, and so really encouraging people to dive into this. And, you know, I, I am not a yoga person. Keep trying, keep trying. Some days it's, you know, it's okay, but it's really not my thing. 
Um, and that's okay too. But the, you know, idea to be able to access that and also try other modalities and really like find what is working for you, I think is, is our goal is like, especially for touring folks, like you might not have the opportunity to do yoga on the road, but do you have 90 seconds to do some breath work? you know, or, or can you learn more about mindfulness and how does that then change, you know, how you are? And I think, you know, going back to everyone just being humans, like if you're traveling around the country and you're struggling or you have a shit attitude, like you're bringing that into every gas station, every green room, every hotel, right. With the people that you're interacting with. And like, what if we can elevate you know, the way that you're interacting with other people because you have, you know, some level of groundedness or mindfulness. What does that then do to our sort of society? How can we lift up everyone by, you know, focusing inwards, I think is really powerful work for, for me right now and, and definitely for Backline. That, that really is actually the essence of yoga. That really is the spirit of yoga. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, not the asana work on the mat for sure that you'd go to a studio and do, but you really just nailed that empowerment process of coming into self and having the tools within and really getting. Maybe I'm more into it than I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I think a huge thing is is for me on the road is just routine, you know, and like everyone exercises in our band for the most part. Um, you know, me and um, our friend of house are pretty nuts about it. So him and I will usually work out together because we know it's going to be a different animal than what anyone else might do in a given day. But it's these like, I don't know, I think it's these, um, it's almost like preventative health care where it's like, well, if I know if I work out right when I wake up before van call, I've already kind of won the day. Like I've already kind of started my day off on the right thing. And then, you know, I don't drink, but Jono will say like, yeah, man, when I'm even thinking about like, having a Red Bull at 10 at night, I'm like, can I, can I coast without it? Cause I know that Drew's going to want to get up and lift. So, you know, and I, and I think having those routines, um, you know, last fall, the other three boys that weren't lifting with us were running every day. So then that became like their little thing. And, and, and I think so much of touring dynamics, one thing that our tour manager made us start doing that I think every band needs to implement is you have a pre-tour check-in where we all sit together. Hey, here's what I'm going through. You know, here's kind of where my head's at. I'm really happy to be here, but this is what's going on back home. So if I seem this way, it's not you, it's this. And then doing that at the halfway mark of tour and then doing one before the last show. We just did that for the first time in the spring. And, you know, I had all of this shit going on at home. Um, and it felt really good to air it out because there was two dudes in the band that were like, yeah, dude, I thought I was about to get fired or some shit. You know, like I didn't, you know, I had no idea what the fuck's going on. I could tell you were off, but I thought you were pissed at me. Um, it's funny you say that we're, we're encouraging more and more of that. Like we are all people, we all have lives outside of this and whatever's going on at home, like doesn't shut off when you get onto the tour bus, but to have an understanding like, okay, Drew is going through a lot. So I'm not going to take that personally, you know, and you said you don't often share what you're going through as a band leader. So building a space for that 
you know, where you don't have to share it day by day, you know, you don't have to share the specifics of it, but to have the opportunity to share some of like what your personhood is going through, I think allows for a lot more grace for one another um, and, and support for one another. Hey, I, I went and grabbed you a coffee because, you know, you're, you're my boy, right? Like yep. that can be really helpful to someone, but you don't necessarily know that, especially in the industry, like we're all powerhouses in so many ways where like, I'm going to do my job no matter what, but can you practice, you know, supporting that or do you need a little support sometimes can be the hardest thing to ask for. So it's really awesome to hear that y'all are doing that. Yeah. And I, you know, I think something else you just said about not taking stuff personally and people not sharing, I think at the heart of the not sharing, you know, like when we did our first little powwow, you know, um, our drummer, Ben had lost his brother and it had been a year. Um, but he was coming up uh, the third week of tour, the anniversary of that was coming up and he was just kind of speaking to how heavy that was. And something he said that I was like, yeah, fuck, we all do this. We need to quit doing it was he's like, yeah, man, I think we all, you know, I just kind of hit this thing where I'm like, I don't want to share my heavy shit with you guys. Cause if you guys are all feeling good, you know, I don't want to bring the vibe down. Like if ever, if the whole band and crew is feeling good and everyone's moving forward, I want to share some negative shit and bring it down where it's like, and then all of us resounding just like, well, no, dude, I want to know if you're going through something like, you're not just my drummer. You're one of my best friends. I love you. And um, yeah, it was just cool to sit in a hotel room and cry with my best friends and be like, no, we all just pretty much love each other a bunch. And if anyone's going through anything, we want to, we all want to know, you know, but it was the first time we had all kind of said that of just like, please share your shit. Cause it just gives everyone so much more context. Cause I think it's so easy in the routine of drive, load in, sound check, all of this, where it's just like, oh, Carl's being kind of weird you know, okay, cool. I'll leave Carl alone then. I guess Carl's mad at me. Fuck Carl. And then, you know, you find out that he's like, oh yeah, no, he's got all of this other shit going on. It has nothing to do with you. And usually I'm that person, you know, or someone might think that I'm mad at them or something like that. Cause I get real stoic and quiet and I kind of have a resting punch somebody face. So it's like, you know, I think to have that open communication and like you're saying with those zoom calls, you know, I think the idea of talking to musicians that aren't in your band and aren't in your crew there's like kind of a level of anonymity there where just like I said, like backstage at a festival, man, I just, I'm really blessed that I have musicians that are many levels of above where I'm at to check in and just be like, Hey, this industry bullshit is happening. Like, you know, can I just vent to you about that and then get some advice? You know, I've, I've been really blessed to have that for, you know, for a good chunk of my career, I've always kind of had really cool mentors, but I know a lot of people don't have that. So yeah, I guess I'm just, I'm, you know, I'll echo what Summer said. I'm just so impressed. Cause I, like I said, at first glance, I was just like, oh, cool. They connect musicians with therapists. That's important. Um, but, but to hear all of the, the multifaceted ways that you guys are connecting, you know, like, especially with people that aren't musicians, like I, the only thing I think that would be harder than doing what I do is being Matt. Like the idea of managing me as like a whole 360 degree human and having to hit me up four times a day to ask me questions, I couldn't even imagine, you know, and he just really takes it on the chin. Um, so 
Yeah, is there anything, um, obviously you guys are gonna um, release that song with us, which I'm so grateful for, because it's just such a perfect, like I said, it's just such a perfect pairing, but is there anything you guys are working on in the near future? You know, I'm really excited to go talk to all the boys um, about you guys, because we leave for tour the first week of September. Um, it's a doozy too, I think it's five weeks, so. Um, but is there anything you guys are working on in the immediate future that, um, that you want to talk about or share before we before we end? No, we're trying to uh, just like keep the pace right now and just like spread awareness of the existing work that we're doing. Um, I have a tendency to like move faster than I should. Um, and so I'm trying to get better about that. That's my own personal work. Um, but we do have um, a back to work resource hub, which like has resources for people going back on the road, um, talked about anxiety, coping skills, stuff like that. We have a tour health workshop. Um, our next one is actually this Tuesday. Um, so it'll be right after the song release, but that's, you know, talking about all the different things that we're experiencing on tour. Um, hoping to launch a grief group soon. I know that's a, a collective experience that so many of us have. Um, and we're just going to keep it up, you know, and, and like I said, if there's anything that we should be doing, you know, or could be doing, we want to hear that from folks. Um, and we really just want to continue to grow. So, um, summer, like we'd love to see if you can join our clinical network or support on the wellness side of things. It sounds like you have a really unique perspective there. Um, and Drew, I'm going to be hitting you up to see if we can talk about that sort of pre-tour check-in because I, I really want to model that for folks right now and easier to come from somebody who's actually done it. Um, so I think there's a lot of ways that we can work together and that's, you know, my main goal is to just like expand our collaborative efforts in this space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, please do get my, my number from Drew and whether you hit me up or somebody does, because I, I would, even if it's just providing a group support space or, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, that would be awesome. Mm -hmm. Y'all get it, which is like really nice to have this conversation of people who really have been there and understand, you know, the ups, the downs and the middles um, of this whole lifestyle. Um, and I'm hopeful that this conversation is going to illuminate folks who don't know, you know, about it and we can all practice a little more grace for each other and and also you know be part of the support yeah well thank you so much for sharing everything yeah i'm, I'm super super excited greg and i are are working on um for the pre-tour mid-tour and post-tour check-in we're actually working on like a a sheet with like four things where you just go down like okay what's something i'm struggling with at home what should everyone in the van know you know and, and trying to make it very very tour specific you know um so yeah let's awesome. definitely keep in touch and yeah so grateful you exist and so grateful um for what you guys are doing so important and so huge so thank you so much for taking time today thank you it was great to meet you both and looking forward to more more in the future yeah hope you can catch a show this fall where are you based yeah. i live in portland oregon that's the second to last show of the tour and i think summer's coming to that one so yeah we'll have to have you out awesome yeah, right. I will definitely see y'all soon. Cool. Thank you so much. Yep. Take care. Bye, Louis. Thanks.